I sure hate following Matt and Sharon. They set the standard. I, I literally just sit and laugh while Matt is doing the whole offering. I've never, that's quite an experience. But uh, man, what a blessing it is to be here this morning. Uh, my family and I, we just came back from Florida. So I've had a whole week of relaxation, sun, and rest. And so I am ready to preach this morning. And I am fired up. I got my preaching boots on. And I even uh, put my phone in a cooler full of water. So I baptized my phone this week. We are ready to rock and roll. Um, it's amazing when you have to go without social media and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I do recommend it. Baptize your phone next time on vacation. It's, it's the only way to fully disconnect. Um, but man, I am excited today to talk about the Exodus story in our series, um, Epic Stories of the Old Testament. This is probably, this is one of the big ones, right? If there is a Mount Rushmore of epic stories, Exodus, if it had a face, would be on there. Right, And so this is one of the big ones. And so I say that to say, how in the world am I going to try to talk about the Exodus in 30 minutes? 45-ish. It's not possible. I have felt the weight of this sermon all week. Meaning, how in the world, where am I going to start? What passage of scripture am I going to have Sharon read? And so what I had her do was read 13, which is the, the end of the Exodus and the beginning of, of, of the rest of the chapter of Exodus. So there's really two parts. If we take a look at the book of Exodus, this first part is the, the slavery that the children of Israel are, are in, and God redeems them. He sets them free. And so that's that first part, basically chapters 1 through 13. And then we're going to come to chapter 14, which is the Red Sea, right? The parting of the Red Sea. God wipes out Pharaoh and the, the Egyptians. And then there's, there's a whole other second part. So I, I want to say this. First of all, anything I say today, I want you to go back and fact check me. But it is going to require you to go back and read the, the rest of it. And I would really encourage you, when's the last time you read this? I, getting ready for this sermon, I read it several times just to make sure. And I thought, I ain't read this since I watched Prince of Egypt. And man, it, it, it is just such a reminder of who our God is. And that's why I chose chapter 13 for Sharon to read, verses 3 through 16, because it starts off. Remember this day that the Lord brought you out from slavery with a strong hand. And then multiple times, when your son asks, you will say, right? And keep this as my statute, right? And so here, this chapter 13, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt, and God says, I want you to remember what just took place. And so today, we need to remember Exodus. Because it says a lot about who our God is. But I do need to paraphrase the story. And that's, that's what's been giving me heartburn all week. Because I don't want to forget it. And, and let me say this. The, the story begins really at the end of Genesis. Remember, we find ourselves, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has some sons. And remember the story of the sons. They get jealous over Joseph, so they, they throw him in. They sell him into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house. He ends up in jail. But he's faithful to the Lord. Right? And God, God uses those experiences in that time to raise him up to be second over all of Egypt. And of course, during this great famine, this time of need, Joseph is able to bring his family to Egypt and protect them. So this is where the, 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 the story of the Exodus really begins at the end of Genesis. But what happens is, if we were to take a look at 
chapter 1, verse 7, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This is where I want to begin our story today, is the children of Israel are being blessed because they are the children of God. And God promised that He would do this. So they, they we see in chapter 1, they are being blessed and they're multiplying and, and doing great and wonderful, and it's, it's amazing. But we also see that Joseph has passed away, and a new pharaoh comes to town, and he doesn't remember who Joseph is, and he looks at all the children of Israel being blessed, and he's saying, wait a minute, this is not a good thing. They're going to outnumber us, and if they were to join up with our enemies, they could overtake us. So he enslaves the people, right? He enslaves the people, even so much so that he doesn't view this as a blessing from God. He views what God is doing as a curse, and he wants to kill all the children of Israel, the, the, the first, the born males. He wants to kill them. I said firstborn males. That's going to come later, guys. Fact check me. He wants to kill all the babies, right? And so now we're introduced in chapter 2. We're going to be introduced to a, a little guy by the name of Moses, right? And he is born, and his mom knows that, that Pharaoh wants to kill all the Hebrew males. If they're girls, they're fine, but the males, he wants to kill them. And so what does she do? She makes a basket. She puts pitch and tar on it, and she sets him afloat in the the Nile River. Y'all remember the prince of Egypt, and he floats on down past the crocodiles over the rapids, right, and into Pharaoh's house where his daughter takes him and raises him up in the family. Well, you know, as the story goes, Moses is, is raised in Pharaoh's house, and along the way, he gets himself into some trouble. And what he actually does is he sees some people being mistreated, his people being mistreated, and he kills one of the Egyptians. So he flees, he runs, and he goes to a place called Midian, and it's there that God is going to pursue Moses. He's going he's gonna to say, Moses, I've got plans and purposes for you. And this is in, when chapter 3, we see the burning bush moment, right? And it's Val Kilmer's voice in the background, you can hear it, right? Take your sandals off, for the ground you're standing is holy ground. And Moses is introduced to Yahweh, right? He's introduced to Jehovah God right there. And God says, I am going to deliver my people. I've heard their cries, and I'm going to deliver them from the oppression in, in, Israel, in, in Egypt. And I'm going to use you to do it. And this is a great story, right? It's building up, except for this is about the time that Moses goes, um, time out. I don't, I don't think I'm the right guy for the job. And God says, no, I will be with you. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, I stutter, you know, and he, I can hear him actually saying, you know, like, I, I'm going to get, 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 get ner ner nervous in front of Pharaoh. And God says, that's fine. I'm going to send your brother Aaron with you. Like, I'm going to be with you. And God works with him even through his, you know, this is a good point of the story that we need to understand is Moses is not qualified to do what God's asking him to do. But God is the qualifier. You know, I love that. I don't know who ever said, God does not call the qualified, God qualifies the called. And I want you to know, I heard Pastor Ed say that this morning at the 8 o'clock service. He said, listen, not only does Moses have a calling, I have a calling. But not only is it I have a calling or Pastor Alec have a calling, but you have a calling. And you may feel inadequate at times. Well, Moses certainly did, right? And God said, but I'm going to be with you and I'm going to speak 
through you to Pharaoh, and you're going you're gonna to be like God to Pharaoh. That's what he said. You're basically going to be my representative, and you're going to tell him, let my people go. Let my people go. And Moses returns to Israel, and of course he speaks to the, the elders of Israel, and they believe, and they, they, they begin preparing for what God is about to do. They think, finally, God has heard us, and they're going to go, except for one little problem. Pharaoh says what? Nah, this ain't good. In fact, he increases their workload. He said, I was giving y'all straw for your bricks, but now what you're going to do, you got to go get your own straw, but I want the same amount of bricks that you've always produced. He increases their workload. And of course, the children of Israel feel the burden of Pharaoh, and he is not going to be turned away. And we get to chapter 6 in Exodus, and, and God promises deliverance. God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I love that God, he, he was always watching, he was always listening, he heard their prayers, and he's saying, listen, it may seem impossible, but I am the God of the impossible, I will set you free. And of course, he sends Moses to do signs and wonders. And it first begins to, Moses is going to take the staff, right, and turn it into a snake. But Pharaoh's magicians and sorcerers and mediums, you know what they do? They can do the same trick. So Pharaoh says, no, this ain't good. In fact, God says he hardens Pharaoh's heart. He hardens Pharaoh's heart. And I do want to deal with that a little bit later. Why would God do that? We're going to to touch on that. But God hardens Pharaoh's heart. So every time that there's Moses goes and pleads to let my people go, Pharaoh says no. And so what God does is he sends a series of plagues. There's 10 plagues, and the first one is he turns water into blood. So in the morning, Moses sees that that Pharaoh's on the Nile, and and Moses prays, and God turns the Nile into blood. But then again, the magicians and the sorcerers, they're able to do the same trick. So Pharaoh says, -uh nah-uh-uh, Moses. But finally, all the water in the Nile is blood. And finally, Pharaoh says, listen, listen, just ask your God to, to take this away from me. And I'll let you go. And so we're going to see that during these plagues, Pharaoh, he, he kind of relents and then changes his mind over and over and over again. And every time Moses prays, God sends the plague, and then God answers to remove the plague. So the first one is the water to blood. The second one is frogs. Frogs everywhere. Have you ever had an infestation of anything in your house? Don't nod your head because that's just nasty. But I remember growing up in Heidelberg, Germany, and we had in, in Heidelberg, uh, I didn't grow up there. I, I was there for a couple years while my, my dad was stationed there. I, I can't lie up here. That's no good. Uh, but while I was there, my senior year, they had an infestation of rabbits. I cannot look at a rabbit today and think that it's cute. They are disgusting. So much so, let me tell you something, playing football my senior year, the rabbits got a, a, a disease in their eyes because there were just so many of them, they would go blind. So what they would do is they'd just sit and run in circles until they exhausted themselves, and then they'd just die. Well, so to play football, we had to take wheelbarrows and get the rabbits off of the field. Yeah, you're not going to look at the, a rabbit the same way either. It's disgusting. Well, that gives me somewhat of a, I mean, the rabbits were so bad that they would burrow under buildings and buildings would literally collapse because the foundation would be just torn apart. Well, this gives us an understanding of when God sends frogs, it's not like one or two. 
You know, it's not some cute commercial with like a six-year-old, you know, got a frog in his back pocket. No, this is frogs everywhere, in your bed, in the shower, at, at home, at your workplace. There's frogs everywhere. And, and Pharaoh says, please, just ask God to take these away. I'll let you go, just the men, right? And so Pharaoh's going to try to negotiate, and he just wants only a part of what Moses is asking. And Moses says, no, everybody's got to go. The men, the women, the children, and the animals. Everybody's got to go. Then the third plague is gnats. Gnats, swarms of gnats. And I, I saw some commentary. Some said this could be lice, be gnats. Either way, pick your poison. It's disgusting. I grew up, my, my mom's, uh, um, her family was pig farmers in Georgia. We know a thing or two about gnats, let me tell you something. You couldn't even get within a 30-mile radius of this place and just gnats everywhere. It wasn't even fun to be outside because just gnats. And could you imagine, you can't get outside, inside, anywhere, just gnats covering you. You, you know, just this idea. And Pharaoh's like, please, stop. So Moses prays. And then the fourth one flies. The fifth one, the livestock die. The Egyptian livestock. What's interesting is we see that only the Egyptian livestock, not the Israeli livestock. The children of Israel, God preserved them. And we see this is going to begin a theme of the, the, not all of the plagues reference whether the children of Israel experienced them or not. But this specifically says they did not. So God is sending the plague specifically to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh. Same climate, same area of town, but the children of Israel did not suffer this because they had God on their side. And Pharaoh's refusing to get on board. But all of the livestock of Israel, or of, of the Egyptian, die. In chapter 9, we see number 6, boils, covered up the Egyptians. Number seven is hail, hail, just killing anything and everything that was in its way, knocking down plants and livestock, anything that's left, the hail was destroying it. Eight, locusts. I was in River Plantation not too long ago, and we had a swarm of something come through. And it was the weirdest thing to see all the lights at night and just swarms of bugs. But as the wind came, it blew them all away. But it was weird to think that something on a, a, a scale that locusts could fill every part of your house, inside your car, your horse and buggy, whatever they had, right? God sends locusts. And of course, Pharaoh's pleading with Moses, please get your God to stop. I'll, I'll let y'all go, right? And then a, a strong wind comes. God takes away all the locusts into the Red Sea and they die. But of course, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and he won't let him go. And then we get to num plague number nine, the darkness. The darkness. And what's interesting is the Bible says this is a darkness you could feel. I when I was reading that this week, I paused on that. A darkness you can feel. That's dark. Reminded me of like a four-year-old trying to go to the bathroom, turn the light off, and running away from it, right? Like, ah! somebody behind me like you can feel that kind of darkness it must have been a fear it must have been a just a tangible darkness so dark that you couldn't light it up and it's for days and again we have this theme playing itself out pharaoh says please i'll let you go and 
Of course, he doesn't when God relents. And then we get to chapter 11, and Moses tells him, listen, there's going to be a final plague, and it's going to be serious. It's going to be the firstborn. So we see the, the final plague threatened, and, and Pharaoh doesn't listen. So it may, brings us to chapter 12, which is the Passover. So Moses tells all the children of Israel, here's what you need to do. You need to grab a young goat or a lamb, either one, and it has to be without blemish. And here's what you need to do. You need to take the blood, and you need to put the blood on your doorposts and on your lintel. Because God is going to send a death angel. And this death angel is going to come and take the firstborn of every house. And the Bible tells us from Pharaoh down to the servant girl, the firstborn of everyone will die except for the houses where the blood is on the doorposts. The death angel will pass over. So the children of Israel, they do that. And there's some specific instructions of what they need to do. They need to be ready to go. They've got to put on their belt, put on their satchels and and their sandals. They've got to be ready to go. They're going to eat only what will fit for their family. And anything else they're going to burn. But they're going to put the blood, right, and and they will rest easy as the death angel passes over. And this brings us to where we are when Sharon read chapter 13. Finally, Pharaoh says, just go. Just get out of here. Take the women, the children, the livestock, everything. Just get out of here. And God even put favor upon the Israelites, and he told them, go ask your Egyptian neighbors for gold and silver, and they're going to give it to you. And the Bible says that the Israelis plundered the Egyptians. This is the Exodus story. See, God heard their cries. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, I hear you, I see you, and I will deliver you. And of course, if we were to keep going past 13, it brings us to chapter 14, which is the parting of the Red Sea. And God delivers them. They come up and they've got Pharaoh. What does he do? Changes his mind. At least he's consistent in that. But he doesn't want that his workforce is going to leave, so he decides to load up the chariots and go get them. So Israel is faced with a daunting Red Sea in front of them, an impenetrable obstacle, and now Pharaoh bearing down on them behind him. And they tell Moses, hey, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die? And of course, that, that amazing scene where Moses takes the staff and puts it in the water, and the water splits And, you know, I've heard people try to say, listen, it's really just a marshland and a strong wind would make it. Well, we have some problems with that because the deepest part of of the Red Sea is like 9,500 feet. That's not a marshland. That's a deep body of water. And God split it. And God split it. And the children of Israel walk through on dry ground. And you know how it goes is... Pharaoh pursues them into the split Red Sea and God allows the waters to come back and and the slave drivers, the the oppression, the, the pain and the fear dies there. God has delivered the children of Israel. I would encourage you to watch The Prince of Egypt. It's amazing. And I would encourage you to read these. But where I really want to land the plane today is, well, what does that have to do with us? Isn't this just a story that we read? Isn't this just something? It's a bedtime story. It's a DreamWorks production that's pretty good. No, this has bearing on us. 
Because chapter 13 says, I want you to remember this. Because this says something about who God is. You know, I was in third grade the first time that I really, really remember needing Jesus because of sin. It's kind of a funny story looking back, but at the time for a third grader, it definitely was not. I had told my second grade teacher that I had a horse. I did not have a horse. I really wanted a horse. And I came up with this elaborate story of how my family surprised me with a horse for my birthday. And I don't remember what in my little third grade mind. I really played it on out. And she was a horse lady. So she would ask me questions. And I'm sure looking back that she's like, this kid ain't got no horse. But in my mind, I really was, it was going good. But we moved, and my dad was stationed in New Jersey at the time. And I remember being in my bed and feeling so convicted because I had lied about this horse. And my dad, as he would do every night, either my mom or dad, they'd come up. We, we could go to bed, and then we had like 30 minutes. We could read, but we couldn't play or anything like that. And I was there, and this particular night, I was so burdened. I was so burdened because I knew I had lied and I felt guilty about it. And so my dad comes in and he sees my eyes filled with tears. He says, what's wrong? I told my second grade teacher that I had a horse and I didn't have a horse and I laid out the whole thing. And I remember my dad having kind of a little smile on his face. And he said, you know what we need to do? We need to ask God to forgive you. And I remember that day like it was yesterday, the forgiveness that I felt of just asking Jesus to wash me clean of the lie and the brokenness that I told. And I'll be honest with you, I do not forget that because it has served me well over and over again. If I find myself, now I'm not a third grader anymore, but I've often found myself at a spot where I've done something that I need to ask God for forgiveness and the same freedom I felt as a third grader, I can feel today because Jesus, if I pray and ask, he is faithful to forgive me. And there's something about remembering that. And see, that's where when we get to chapter 13, this is what God is instructing them. Listen, you need to remember the Exodus story because guess what? We're going to go on past the Red Sea. And there's going to be future obstacles in our way. And you need to remember, I was able then, so I can do it again. And listen, that's for you and I. So the first point that I want to know is God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Exodus 1-7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. We read that when we began, and here's what I want you to remember. That was a promise to Abraham. If you were to go back to Genesis 17, 1 through 6, God said, I'm going to bless you, and, and you're going to be a father of nations. And so what we see is Exodus 1 is playing out a promise that God already made. You need to understand that God is a keeper of promises. Let me tell you that that reference of if, if we just ask for forgiveness, he's faithful to forgive us. That's John, 1 John 1, 19. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. That's a promise. And I want you, if you don't hear anything else today, I don't care what you have did, where you've been, or how bad you think you are. If you will ask for forgiveness, the promise is he is faithful to forgive you. 
But you know, I, there are tons of times in the Bible, they say 365, I don't really think so, but there's like 300 plus references of do not fear in the Bible, I am with you. That's a promise. I don't care if it's a job interview, do not fear, I am with you. I don't care if you're walking through a broken marriage right now and you're just trying to hold it all together, do not fear, I am with you. I don't know if your bank account's got more red in it than, well, just more red than black, maybe. Do not fear, I am with you. These are promises that we can hold on to. He loves you. In fact, Jesus said, God loves me, I love you. I'm destroying that reference. It's the John 15, but you get it. He loves you. He loves you, and this is a promise that God has loved you from, from before. Even if I was to take a look at Psalm 139, is that he formed you, your inward parts. He formed you. This is the kind of God that's crazy about you. He's got a plan to, to, to prosper you. A plan to bless you. These are promises that God has for you. The children of Israel, what they needed to remember was that God is a keeper of promises. What we need to understand is God is a keeper of promises. I do want to challenge you. Get in the word and make sure you know what the promises are for you. Now, I will tell you, sometimes the promises are made to the children of Israel. Sometimes we can apply those to the church. But there's a lot of promises that are made specifically to you. And we need to make sure that we understand that God is for us and that he fights for us. And these are promises. You know, B and I, uh, early on with Jonah, we, we wanted to make sure that, you know, you know how kids, when you go to Target or the Red Store, they get a toy like early on, right? They go straight to the Legos or anything else, right? And so they've got a toy. Well, it's easy to say, I want to enjoy my shopping experience. Just throw the toy in the basket. We'll get it, right? And then when you get up to the register, you just set it along the side. Has anybody? I'm, you're laughing. I can see it because you've all done it. But B and I, we realized we were doing that, and we knew other people that were doing that, and we decided with, with specifically Jonah and David, we were not going to do that. Because, you know, our, our Heavenly Father, He is a keeper of promises. When He says He's going to do something, He's going to do it. And so, as a matter of integrity, this is a silly practice that we do. If the kids ask for a toy and we tell them no, we tell them no right then and there. It's amazing. that The first time they do act like they got shot by a sniper right there in the target aisle. You know, it's like... But eventually, it's amazing that they hear the word no. And, and we felt like this was a way that we could teach them and train them on, on, on honesty and integrity because that's important. And I feel like we're missing a little bit of that. Amen. So I, we need to understand that God is that way. His yeses are yes, his noes are noes, but he keeps his promises. The second thing that I want you to know this morning is God has not forgotten you. See, the children of Israel find themselves in trouble all the time. You want to know why? Because of sin. Sin separates. It's a separator. It's always been a separator. We see that in Genesis uh, chapter 3 at the fall, right? When Adam and Eve, they, they, they eat of the apple. And of course, what does it do? They become aware 
when you do that thing that you're not supposed to do, that you know God doesn't want you to do, all of a sudden the guilt that sets in, that's the awareness, the feeling that Adam and Eve had. And it's been plaguing us since then. And what we see is over and over again in the Bible, as, as the children of Israel set a course of sin, what happens is, is it separates them from God. They were never supposed to serve idols. They were never supposed to, when, when God says, I want you to clean out the, 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 the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the somethingites, and every other, otherites, it's because God doesn't want them to fall into spiritual adultery. And they do over and over and over again. And every time, right? And so when we see that they're under bondage, when God allows the Babylonians or the Assyrians or even Pharaoh, it's because the children of Israel, they have forgotten God, but God has not forgotten them. But I think too often we as Christians, what happens is things might be going good in our life, right? See, the children of Israel, at the end of Genesis, things are great. We got one of our guys, he's number two in all of Egypt. Things are great. And I think what happens is they begin to get too comfortable. Well, we're the same way. Things get put on cruise in our life, right? God, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Right now I'm doing good, God. I don't need you. And what happens is we begin to fall into idolatry ourselves. We begin to pursue selfish ambitions. We forget that the most important thing in our life should be the kingdom of God, advancing his kingdom and not our own. We get too comfortable, and all of a sudden we start reasoning and negotiating with sin. And that's what happened to them, and that's what happens to us. But even when that happens, I'm here to tell you the truth is that God has not forgotten who you are, who he's called you to be, and what he's done for you. God has not forgotten you. Exodus 2, 24 through 25, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I take great comfort in knowing that God knows. Whatever you're struggling with today, God knows. Maybe it's an issue of weight. Maybe it's an issue of self-esteem. Maybe it's an issue with a coworker or with a spouse, or maybe it's financial. God knows. And God has not forgotten. You know, I, I was thinking of how to illustrate this. I remember when COVID was, was setting in, I had in April, my birthday is April 24th, write that down. But um, that was that time we really didn't know how COVID was, how long COVID was going to be, right? The onset of COVID. And my wife was exceedingly like aloof to my birthday. You ever been around somebody that's aloof? Like, I was like, I guess she forgot. I, I guess we're just not going to celebrate this day. Maybe not only do we have a plague of COVID, we have a plague of forgetfulness in the smart household. And I remember feeling this way. Have you ever, you've ever had something like that? And then many of you came rolling by my house. Remember that? And I was overwhelmed with not only had she not forgotten She'd been a busy little bee organizing a, a train by my house, and it was such a blessing. And I, you know, that, that is such a beautiful memory because sometimes that's how we think God is. God, have you forgotten about me? Not only has God not forgotten about you, He's at work. He is, he is organizing things on your behalf. You see, while the children of Israel are over there thinking, man, this is it. This is all for us. He is raising up a Moses to, to come and announce 
deliverer. He's, he is coming to announce that God is God. He's faithful and he remembers his promises. Hang on, put your sandals on, strap your belt on, cook that lamb up, let's rock and roll. It's time to go. So God has not forgotten you. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God is a God who keeps his promises and he remembers. I don't care how long. 400 years was how long they were. How long have you been in it? The woman with the issue of blood, how long was she in it? Our timing is not his timing, but I promise you this. He has not forgotten. He is able. The second thing is God reveals his identity. I said second thing, that's the third thing. Pay attention, please. Exodus 6, 2 through 3, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. What's interesting here, listen to this. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Brock, I don't know that I've ever noticed that before. He's about to take that relationship to a new level. He says, listen, Abraham, he's a cool dude. Isaac, yeah, I was there for that, on that hill with the lamb stuck. Even Jacob, I was there, I saw it. But listen, Moses, what I'm about to do, I'm going to do in you and through you, but I'm going to bring you into a relationship with me that they did not have access to. I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to show you my identity. In fact, he even tells him, you're going to be God to Pharaoh. And what he means is, is you're going to represent me on a level that no one else has. Listen, church, we have access even greater than Moses. We are the carriers of the Holy Spirit. See, all of these stories of the Old Testament, they wish they could see what we see right now. They wish that they could feel what we see right now. They wish that they could be here, that they could stand here. And today, was worship not awesome? I just thought to myself, Lord, would you just come? And I was more worried about my sermon. I was thinking, Lord, would you speak? And I just had to, hey, I'm already here. I am already here. The presence of God is in this place. And let me tell you something, we, we have God inside of us. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are the carrier of the Holy Spirit. He is going to give you your identity. Amen, you're going to get me started in here. Amen. You know, we're, we're navigating, many of y'all have known the challenge with David. But it's really a question of identity. We got the privilege to fill out a new birth certificate. And that birth certificate, it says David Lino Smart. At school in kindergarten, he's David Rodriguez, and we have to kind of work with that because that's who he is. But in just a little while, he's going to have a new identity. He's going to be a member of this family officially. And that is just a picture of what happens to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are adopted into the family. He will give us a new identity. God, when we remember the Exodus, we remember this identity of God that he applies to us through Jesus Christ. The fourth thing is there is a connection between Bible events and our understanding of God. It is important that we remember the Exodus so that we can understand from, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God has been about getting our attention to let us know that he loves us and he wants a relationship with us. And this whole story is about redeeming us, something that we could not do. Listen, you have tried everything, I get it, and you're still trying everything. 
You're even trying to walk with God on one side and the world on the other. You're trying to have that cool Christianity where you have one foot in and one foot out. It ain't going to work. God has been trying to get your attention so that you would understand, listen, it's only by my hand that you will be saved. He is trying to get you to understand, look, you have been playing Christianity, but I want a life of obedience and surrender from you. See, that's, that's, that's the problem in the church today. We like, we like sensational stuff. We like to have our ears tickled. We like that when we come into a church, how does it please me? Does, does this fit my needs? But it shouldn't be that way. We should be so focused on who God is and what he did through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we should be about discipling others. We should be about seeing other people get saved. That when we come in, is that what the church is about? That's what we should be managing and evaluating what a church is about. But all of these Bible stories, you know what they connect with? They connect with the fact that God has been trying to get our attention forever, forever. And he wants a relationship with you. And the whole point, see, Pharaoh keeps negotiating with Moses. He's like, okay, let the, just the men go out. And, and Moses says, no, everybody's got to go. And then next he says, hey, listen, keep the livestock here Y'all can go out. And Moses says, no, we have to sacrifice to God. Everybody's got to go. And so we have this back and forth, but what Moses wanted Pharaoh to understand is we've got to go completely because we're going to worship God and we're going to surrender everything and we're going to sacrifice. And so all of these stories point to a jealous God who wants all of you, not half of you. God wants your obedience. He wants your surrender. He wants your life. He wants your finances. He wants your marriage. Listen, God is trying to get your attention. And all of these stories tell us about that God who is pursuing you. Number five is this. The Exodus story is a picture of the Lord's Supper. You see, in chapter 12, when Moses tells the elders of Israel, have all of the people kill that lamb and spread the blood on the doorpost and the lintel because the death angel will pass over. You know, you could believe in God. You could trust that God, maybe on, on plague five or six, you kind of got on board. And you're like, man, that God of the Israelites, he's, he's serious about it. Well, are you going to kill that lamb? Now that's crazy talk. You see, you could believe in God, but if you didn't have the blood, judgment was coming. Death was going to visit your house that night. And I love that there's no distinction from Pharaoh on down. And when we think of the Lord's Supper... You know it's that snack at church that you get? Jesus, when he told his disciples, he said, I am anxiously awaiting to celebrate this Lord's Supper with you. Because that's the night when he knew that he was stepping into the position of being the Passover lamb. Exodus 12, 7. Then shall they take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. 
Exodus 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. Without the blood, every one of us is subject to that same punishment. The blood. He says, I will execute those judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall you. And it will not destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, when God sees the blood, he passes over. Jesus on the cross, he was our Passover lamb. In fact, that's the last point that I want to make is when we remember the Exodus, what we remember is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Exodus 6, 6, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. You cannot read that and not think of the cross. I will redeem you with outstretched arms. This was a picture of what was going to come. Jesus, is he redeemed us on the cross with outstretched arms. He took our slavery. He took our, our, our burden, and he paid the ultimate price. He is the one that delivered us. So when we remember the Exodus, this is what we're remembering, that God is able. God remembers. He keeps his promises. All of these stories work to show us who God is and how much he loves us. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Bible tells us that we celebrate the, 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 the death until he comes. Correct me, Brock. Something like that. But it's all about Jesus. And that's where I really just want to land the plane this morning. God wants your life. He wants you to surrender that to him. Not halfway, not partially, but fully. And I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come on up because I want to give you a chance to respond to that. If there's something in your life right now that you know has not been surrendered, I want you to ask God to, to, to do a work in you this morning. I want you to ask God, Lord, forgive me for I've established a kingdom in my life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's financial. Ask God that he would, he would clear that out, that God would redeem you from that. But I also think that there's somebody here that you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're just like the Egyptians who went to bed that night and they didn't put the blood on the doorposts. See, judgment is coming. We don't like to talk about that a lot in church, but the truth is, what Pharaoh experienced the next morning is what many people will experience. The pain, the loss. But for us, we don't, we don't have to worry about that as long as we claim the blood. God has provided a way for us to escape that. Not by our own doing and not because we're good enough, but because Jesus Christ, he is our Passover lamb. And I believe that, listen, if you will confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive them. Right here, you can come and say, Lord, I, I have tried it my own way. I'm tired of doing it. Lord, I've never taken that step 
to trust you as my Lord and Savior. I want to do that right now. So when I pray, if, if you've got something you need to come up here for prayer, come up here. If you want to come up and pray for salvation, come up here. Now's our chance to respond as we remember the Exodus this morning. Amen. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? We hope you were encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.